Hello, everybody, and welcome to this first Teller County Sheriff's Office podcast for the year of 2021. We're starting this one off in a big way. We have in our studio, Dr. John M. Williams. Sorry, I know him as Doc, so the fact that you have a real name, that, that's, that's crazy to me. But um, Dr. John M. Williams Sr., MD, MPH, is a physician with a master's degree of public health, board certified in both occupational medicine and ophthalmology, and you're a retired naval medical officer, Navy medical officer, uh, combat veteran, and former Marine Corps medical battalion commander for the past 10 years. He's been a reserve deputy sheriff in southern Colorado and has also served as an academy instructor. So we're talking like a lifetime of service here. I mean, the military. Then you go into being a doctor. And then on top of that, you continue to serve uh, as a reserve deputy in two counties that I know of. Whenever whenever I see you, it's always a good and rewarding experience. So thank you for coming. Uh, in the studio also, we have Commander Lad Sullivan, the uh, detentions commander for the Teller County Sheriff's Office. Thank you for coming in again. My uh, pleasure. Great on the last podcast and great to, to bring you back. And then, of course, as always, we have uh, Deputy Renee Bunting. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we were we were kind of talking around before that we, we sat down to record this podcast. And uh, one of the things that we were talking about is all the misinformation that's out there about the COVID-19 vaccine. So uh, maybe we start off with talking about dispelling the rumors. Where, to, where the, do they need to find the right information uh, and maybe where not to look? Well, thanks, Tommy. And I appreciate the introduction. And I think it makes me feel real old. So <laughs> way to go, Thanks Tommy. But uh, I, I really appreciate the opportunity that the Teller County Sheriff's Office has given me to, to speak about this. And and I think it's it's very forward thinking on their part to to try to get some information out there that's objective and and legitimate. Uh, because I think if any of you follow social media, whether it's Twitter or Facebook, there there is a lot of misinformation out there. You know, we're dealing with uh, a novel virus. Novel means new. You know, it's something we've we've never seen before. And uh, because of that, uh, even as physicians, we didn't know how it was going to behave. We didn't have a treatment for it. And you know, when we first when we had the first case in Colorado last March, uh, we didn't have a vaccine for it. Uh, so fast forward uh, 10 months, and here we are talking about uh, getting a vaccine. Uh, we've developed some therapies for it. And, and I think as a physician, to me, it's just amazing that we are where we are right now. On a world scale, we know that uh, there have been 87 million cases. Almost 2 million people have died from it. In the U.S., 21 million cases and about 357,000 deaths. And here in Colorado, uh, we've we've had uh, we've had a, a significant impact here as well. The encouraging thing is that we do have a couple of vaccines out there. Uh, they're called mRNA vaccines, and not to get too technical, but basically, it's a it's a new type of vaccine that was developed from an idea that scientists have been working on for several years. And it, it's pretty cool in that it works to make your own body cells produce a protein that looks like part of what is on the coronavirus. And so when you are exposed to the virus, your, your body's ready to attack uh, the virus and this spike protein. 
And uh, in Colorado already, we've had over 120,000 people vaccinated. Wow, which, that's incredible. Yeah, I had is, no idea. Which is amazing. Yeah, yes. those are the numbers uh, from today. And almost 5 million in the U.S. vaccinated. I think Teller County is really on the forefront here. I live in Colorado Springs and El Paso County, and I think smaller counties uh, that are more plugged in, uh, that can be more agile to respond to a, a public health emergency are, are, are pretty well situated to do this. And, and Teller County and Teller County Public Health, I've just been nothing but impressed. Well, you know, and uh, Public Health even told us today that they've already had 158 uh, people get vaccinated so far. So that is awesome. I, th- I think it's just fabulous that people are coming out there to get tested. As a matter of fact, we have people waiting to get tested as soon as they're they're um, able to. And, and that's exciting. And, and when you look at Teller County stats, I, I realize you've only had oh, a little over a thousand cases and only nine deaths. And, you know, one death is too many. But uh, compared to, to some of the larger counties, you know, El Paso County, over 42,000 cases, almost 600 deaths. It, it may give you a sense of security uh, that, oh, well, you know, not that many cases here. But we do know that uh, things are accelerating in terms of uh, uh, spread of the virus. And to get back to your original question, Tommy, uh, the misinformation, I don't think people are spreading it maliciously. I, I think it's something that because there is a lot that's unknown, the people have, you know, kind of said what they think. And sometimes it goes, I hate to use the term, but I'm going to use it viral. <laughs> <laughs> and and when somebody says, oh, well, this, this vaccine affects your DNA or it has uh, microchips in it or... It's something that Bill Gates developed to control us. You know, these are all things that we've read about. And, and, and if you see somebody on YouTube or Facebook in a video that's got a white coat on and they're, they sound like they're educated, uh, I, I wouldn't just take that as fact. Right. Uh, I, I always try to, and, and I get a lot of these things from friends who, you know, all over the country, engineers, architects, attorneys, and they'll send me a link to something and they'll say, hey, this looks legitimate. What do you think? And I'll look at it and I'll go, oh, well, this, you know, this is somebody who's kind of made stuff up. Mm-hmm. Yet to a layperson, a non-medical person, it's pretty believable. So I do try to go in and see, okay, who is the person that's saying this? Uh, are they quoting studies that are uh, in the in the peer-reviewed literature, meaning that they've been looked at by other uh, physicians or scientists. And if it's not passing those smell tests, then I, I pretty much discount it. Uh, but I can't uh, fault people for looking at something that looks pretty believable and believing it. So uh, I, I think misinformation is out there because there's there's a vacuum of information. Well, even on the news networks, everybody has their own expert that they hire or bring in. And right. every day it's some... You just said one thing yesterday, and today you're one. You know, exactly. A, a yeah, lot of right. misdirection and misinformation. Mm-hmm. Even even Dr. Fauci has gone back on things sure. that he said, and and early on when the White House ta- Coronavirus Task Force was meeting, I watched every single briefing. You know, I would kind of. I think stop. we all did. Yeah. <laughs> I was hanging on it on their every word, and and I, and I would listen to it and think, uh, well, that's not what you said last week, but I realized that. You know, this is evolving, you know. Absolutely. And that's exactly what I say. It's just constantly changing. New things are happening. And I think that's why people are kind of afraid and looking for answers. And they want to believe the first thing they find. I mean, they Google one thing and then that's the first article they read. And they're not really researching it like they should be. 
Exactly. In fact, there was a uh, an interesting article that came out last week uh, that uh, looked at the percent of the American public that is that are willing to take the vaccine, and it quoted a number uh, around forty percent. And it, this was done by uh, an Associated Press poll that was affiliated with University of Chicago. Mm-hmm. Well, I had read another article the previous week that said 70% of people were willing to take it. And it was coming from the Kaiser Family Foundation, which is a pretty well-recognized uh, health research uh, agency. And when you compared to the two uh, articles, which I pulled them out and read them, uh, the Kaiser numbers were, uh, the way they got them, were much more legitimate than the AP poll. Sure. Yet, the the press glommed on, oh, it's only 40% now, and more, fewer people want to take it. And the people read it, and they go, oh, well, if everybody else is not wanting to take it now, maybe I shouldn't. Yeah, how often do you get on Google and do a search for something and come across an actual, well, you were talking about peer-reviewed literature. How often do you do a Google search and come across something like that as opposed to just some article that's been printed in, I don't know, WebMD or something that may or may not be valid. Exactly. And, it, and it's most of the time. The stuff that, that is at the top are things that uh, typically, you know, come out of the lay press. And maybe they're quoting an article or a study. And if they don't even link the study or the article, I, I just keep on scrolling. Right. But, you know, it's funny you say that because so many people, they don't. They just go by that and it's like, well, where's the link? Why didn't you attach the link? And it's like, well, there wasn't one. Well, right there, that that should be a red flag. Right. <laughs> okay, well, there's nothing to back it up. <laughs> well, one of the things that makes me think of is you know, we're all military veterans in here. And so we've been subject to every time a vaccine comes out, <laughs> we're the first to get it. And none we're, of us want to do it. We're but the you guinea know what? pigs for the military. What's that? We're the guinea pigs oh, for the military. We're the guinea pigs for America. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we go through, we get, we get the the vaccine because we really have no choice in the matter and we're all here. I don't know of a single person that's ever had a bad reaction to one of those new vaccines that are coming out. Well, I remember in, in we're, we're probably all old enough to have taken the anthrax vaccine. Oh, yeah. oh yes. And the, the original series was, uh, I think it was a total of six shots over a year and a half. And uh, it was not a real pleasant one, you know, compared to the coronavirus, uh, the COVID vaccine, uh, uh, you know, the COVID vaccine was nothing when I took it. You know, it was a little, little soreness in the arm, and that was it. But uh, anthrax, uh, a bit worse. And, and I think when we took anthrax, uh, the actual indication uh, that the FDA had approved it for was not really what we were going to be potentially exposed to. Mm-hmm. So, But I remember reading about it at the time and thinking, okay, well, I'm deploying to Iraq, and there is a potential for it. So, you know, it's all risks and benefits. And if the potential benefits outweigh the risks, I'll take it, which I did for the anthrax and which I did for uh, the COVID vaccine. And by the way, I'm sorry, I I didn't actually cover what brought you in here uh is it is your the article that you wrote for the police one periodical uh to answer a lot of the frequently asked questions that are out there uh and so i want to make sure that everybody knows that that article is up and i will put the link in the in the description notes uh so that you can look at it right and, and i think it's important tommy that uh the goal here is to get reliable, objective information out there. You know, the goal isn't me telling you to go out and take it. You know, that's a decision you need to make for yourself, for your family. What originally, uh, I guess, spurred me to write the article was I read uh, another article written by Nancy Perry, who's the editor of uh, Police One, uh, in which she had uh, done a, a scientific poll 
that looked at the willingness of law enforcement officers to take the vaccine, and she came up with a number of 38%. And I read it, I looked at the study, and I thought, you know, this is a well-done study, and I'm, I'm just kind of shocked that it's 38% because, you know, we're reading the general public says 71%. So I, uh, I sent her an email, and you know, a lot of times with uh, when, when you re- you know, so occasionally I'll reach out to editors and stuff, and you never hear back, you <laughs> right? Know? But I reached out to Nancy, and like within you know a couple hours, she got back to me, and and she said, you know, uh, yeah, uh, you know, if you're interested in writing something, send me an outline, I'll look at it, and and I'll get back to you. So I sent her an outline, and over the the Christmas weekend, I wrote something up, you know, in two or three hours, and. Uh, she had it on on the Police One website the next day. We actually put it on our uh, not only our um, community page but also our Facebook page, and we did really well with it. So it'll be nice to have a little follow up to go with it. So that's great. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, you know if, if it's interesting to read the comments. Uh, <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> and, and, and a lot of the comments I don't agree with uh, because I, I think they're based on you know some of the, the fiction that's out there. Sure. But uh, if I can get uh, what I what I you know as a physician who who has been in the public health realm for you know twenty plus years and uh, has dealt with force health protection, which is what we in the military uh, that's a term that we use to uh, describe what we do to protect our, our troops. Mm-hmm. So if I'm taking a group of people over to West Africa or Thailand or South America. There are certain health threats that you run into, you know, whether it be yellow fever, typhoid, rabies, uh, malaria, things like that. And so when I was uh, working in that realm, uh, we would develop strategies so we would protect our people because we knew what the health threats were and we couldn't afford to lose anybody uh, getting sick or potentially dying uh, from any of those illnesses. So that's the same approach that I'm taking here is to, you know, look at the risk. uh, How do we mitigate it? You know, whether it be social distancing and, hey, you know, you can't see this podcast, but we're all socially distanced here. You know, the microphones are disinfected and we're, we're doing it by the book. And uh, and now we got the vaccine. It's really a golden opportunity for people to take advantage of it if you decide you want it. Uh, right now, if we read in the papers uh, across the country, particularly in major cities on the West Coast and Texas, the East Coast, ICUs are full. You know, they're full of COVID patients. And uh, it, it's, it's at a crisis level, particularly out in California. I read where uh, one hospital was actually having to move some beds into their gift shop to accommodate all the patients. And so if there's something we can do uh, on an individual basis to protect ourselves and our family, uh, then at least the decision I made was to do it. Right. You know, Doc, I wanted to mention also, I think a lot of the... um the community thinks that the the deputies or first responders are being forced to take the vaccine, but it truly is, you know, up to them if they want to take it or not take it. I think it's an excellent choice. They should go ahead and, and do it. Um, but I want them to have the facts. And I think that's the biggest thing is that people just want to know what to expect. I think what we can sort of be comforted by is that the clinical trials that were done by Moderna and Pfizer BioNTech were uh, closely observed by the FDA. Uh, over 70,000 patients, when you combine the two studies, they looked at them very closely. They uh, monitored them for side effects, monitored them for uh, 
adverse things happening to them. And they found 95% efficacy. Uh, you hardly ever see that in a vaccine. That's uh, incredible. And you compare it to flu vaccines, which we talked about in the article, is the uh, a flu vaccine is kind of a guess. You know, we have to guess six months in advance uh, as to which flu virus is going to cause problems. Sometimes they guess right, sometimes they don't. And uh, to be able to produce and have enough vaccine when we start taking it in the fall, you got to make that guess ahead of time. Well, with COVID, we started out with the blueprints. It's like we, it was like an open book test. You know, they gave us the test, but we also had the answers in our hand. The scientific community was able to take that blueprint of the COVID virus and go, oh, okay, here's what we need to do to defeat this. So that's why they were able to get such a high level of efficacy. Uh, I, I actually, so I, in my Google searching, I looked up how long the vaccine actually lasts, how long it's good for. And I, I saw everything from half a year to possibly two or three years. What, what's the, what the ground truth on that? Well, the party line right now is four to six months, okay. uh, but I have seen some studies that have suggested that maybe up to eight or even nine months is possible. And I think the longer that this goes on and that we are looking at people from the clinical trials that got it back in March or April, mm-hmm. even, even before, uh, we'll know better as to how long it how long it lasts. But uh, it could potentially be something like we were talking about earlier. May, maybe we have to have an annual COVID. COVID vaccine. Right. Uh, I, I think that uh, the the mRNA uh, vaccine development process, they figured it out. So the next time around, we, we should be able to do it more efficiently and more quickly if, if it's necessary. Herd immunity, you know, we, we've heard that term and, you know, some people understand it. It, it, it can be a little difficult to understand, but what it means is uh, at what level do people in a group, a large group of people, have to be immune to a disease before it's easily passed? So if you think about it, let's take a, you know, let's take a thousand people and put them in an auditorium. And let's say we're going to give, you know, five or or, or 10 of these people uh, some red paint. And and their job is to go around and, and put red paint on people that aren't wearing red clothing. So if 900 people in there are wearing red clothing, and, they, and they, this person's looking for somebody to paint red, they're, they're going to have a hard time finding them that to do that. Uh, and so that's what herd immunity is all about. If we can get to the level, and I think Dr. Fauci recently quoted a, a figure of 80 to 85%, it's going to be really tough for this virus to propagate from one person to another, and then it tends to not be an issue. Right. So herd immunity is something important for any type of infectious disease. I had a pretty serious illness uh, in 2002 that left me with a quarter of my lung capacity removed. And I was wondering, is the vaccine a danger to somebody like me who has a reduced or some sort of a physical problem like that? No, Tommy, actually not. On the other hand, it would be beneficial for someone who has a pre-existing condition like what you described to have the vaccine because it, it's going to give you some protection against a virus that could attack your lungs. So no contraindication there. Uh, really, the only contraindication to taking the vaccine is if you are sensitive to a component of the vaccine. And people you know, ask me, well, how do I know if I'm sensitive to a component well, if you had a previous reaction to a vaccine, and we're talking a bad reaction where, you know, 
airway closed up, you had to get a shot of epinephrine or that sort of thing. That's something you need to discuss with your, your primary care physician before you consider taking the vaccine. But that's pretty rare. Uh, there, there have also been questions about, well, what if I have food allergies, if I'm allergic to peanut butter or milk or stuff like that? And the FDA did discuss that when they were looking at the emergency use authorization. Uh, so if you do have a food allergy, that is not a reason to not get the vaccine. Mm-hmm. So don't sweat it. Don't worry about it. In fact, my uh, daughter who got the vaccine, she's a physician in, in uh, Minnesota. Uh, she's allergic to uh, tree nuts and carries a EpiPen with her. And uh, she took the vaccine, had no side effects, no problem. So don't worry about, you know, there is some of that misinformation out there that, hey, if you have a food allergy, don't take it. Uh-uh, that's not true. So what kind of reactions are you seeing uh, from people who take it, you know, uh, maybe a little fever, a little soreness? Yeah, you know, I took it a week ago and had a little bit of soreness in my arm uh, the next day. Uh, sort of felt a little headachey. took a couple of Tylenol, that was it. Other people have reported low-grade fevers, muscle aches, some nausea, some vomiting. Those were some, some things uh, reported uh, in the, uh, the clinical trials. But uh, generally what we call constitutional symptoms and most of them over 24 to 48 hours the symptoms can be a little worse with the second vaccination which the clinical trials found but kind of a small price to pay for protection against the nasty virus and that's 28 days uh in between right yeah both vaccines require two doses gotta have them and the, the Pfizer, they're spaced 21 days apart, and the Moderna, 28 days apart. So Pfizer and Moderna, any big difference between the two? They are both uh, have 95% efficacy. They're both mRNA vaccines. Really, they're, they're, they're pretty interchangeable. Except if you get Moderna as dose number one, you got to have Moderna as dose number two. You can't cross over. Same mm-hmm. thing with Pfizer. What they did is as soon as the outbreak of uh, COVID occurred, uh, the scientists, being the smart people they are, said, hey, we we, we got to get some of this virus in a test tube and figure out what the, what the sequence mm-hmm. of uh, nucleic acids are, which are what make up viruses. And so when they were able to get that, or here's a piece of the virus that we're going to use to put in the vaccine to make your body make a protein that's on the virus so that your body's ready for it in case you're infected. You know, like I said, from a medical standpoint, it is it is really cool to see that, that they can do this. And one of the articles uh, that I linked was uh, published by a group at Harvard, and it was five years ago, and they were talking about mRNA vaccines. And they said, okay, we can make these, and they, they, they'll probably be helpful if we have a pandemic in the future because we can make a vaccine quickly. Mm-hmm. And I'm reading this thing, and it goes... 2015, this was published. Somebody had a crystal ball because exactly what they said could be done was done. So uh, I think it was uh, it was sort of a perfect storm of expediency, money available, and I'm going to give a lot of credit to President Trump and Operation Warp Speed uh, because whatever you think of the president, I think he and, and Operation Warp Speed deserve the, the Nobel Prize in medicine. And I think we'll look back five, ten years from now and say. Oh, my God, how did they do that? I myself, when I saw the article, and that's why I reached out to you, because I was very skeptical of getting the vaccine. And um, I'm happy we're doing this so that I can make an informed decision as whatever I decide, 
but to make a good decision knowing the information. Well, I appreciate you reaching out to me, Commander Sullivan. And like I was saying earlier to the sheriff, I thought that was very forward thinking because you said, hey, would you be willing to, to do a podcast? And I thought, wow, it's a great idea. You know, that's uh, the way to get the information out there. And I, and I think the way that you approach this is is not through... I mean, this is my opinion, John Williams talking, is not through executive orders that, you know, don't have any legal basis, not putting it on the cops to say, you know, you're the mask police. I think the way is to influence people is give them the information, uh, let them know the facts, and then they make a decision. And hopefully it's the same decision I made, uh, but it may not be. You know, it's funny you say that because that's the one thing the sheriff always says. Let's educate the people, educate them. Exactly. And, you know, if you look in the public health realm, uh, as far as flu vaccines go, in some settings, if you want to work in a hospital in patient care, Mm -hmm. you got to have the flu vaccine. And that's been tested in court and been upheld. But the flu vaccine is something that's FDA approved. You know, we're talking about a vaccine here that we have an authorization, an emergency use authorization for. So the FDA said, okay, but it's not the same level of okay as an FDA approved uh, drug or vaccine. So I think by looking at it that way, it's even more important for people to make that decision because, you know, can can I force somebody to... to to take a vaccine that has an emergency use authorization. I'm not an attorney, but I, I mean, if you talk to one, they probably would say no. So I think you, you make your own decision, but I, I, I would stress, you know, if you don't you know, believe the stuff that I put out there, uh, at least uh, do some of your own research and, mm-hmm. and don't let other people do your thinking for you. Don't let the mainstream media do your thinking for you. So one of the uh, talking about people who are coming up with reasons not to take the vaccine, I'm sure that are, there are plenty of people out there going, oh, I've already had COVID, so I don't need to take the vaccine. Is, is, what's the truth behind that? Well, that's, that's, that's a good point, Tommy. And we do know, you know, we, we didn't do large-scale antibody testing. Now, we, you know, a lot of antigen testing has been done looking for active infection. But as far as antibody, what that is is you get an antibody after you've had an infection. It shows your body was exposed and you created some proteins to fight the, you know, fight the virus if it uh, came back again. They did some antibody testing in New York City, out in California, to look and see, okay, did people have it and they didn't know it? Mm -hmm. If you have had COVID, uh, the recommendation uh, from the CDC is that you should take the vaccine. Say you had COVID back last March or April, and if the immunity is only, you know, four to six months, you know, you've already passed that window. So you get, uh, you get the, the COVID vaccine, you know, you got another four to six, maybe eight or nine months of immunity. And we also know that uh, in many cases with vaccines, the immunity you get from a vaccine is better than the natural immunity from getting the infection. One of the things that I've heard a lot of people talk about is that the vaccines are DNA altering, changing, whatever, that in three months I'm going to sprout a third arm or another <laughs> eye. Or, can you address that at all? That- yeah, that, that's, that's a good question, and, and, and it's one that pops up on social media quite a bit. And, and the, the short answer is no, it does not incorporate into your DNA. And it's not even injecting a live or even an attenuated or killed virus. In this setting, we're just using a little bit of the nucleotide sequences to stimulate the, the, 
the growth of the uh, the spike protein so that our own body can attack it. But it doesn't incorporate into your R- DNA or RNA or anything like that. So don't worry about that. That's that's not true. So the policeman article is really geared towards law enforcement. And so in the chain of priority, where does law enforcement fall in? Well, that's, that's a good question, Tommy. Uh, the CDC came out with some recommendations and they created uh, a Category 1A, which was the highest priority, and those were high-risk healthcare workers, mm-hmm. uh, people working in ICUs, ERs, uh, that would have contact with people with active infections. And then long-term care facility staff and residents. Those were, you know, the top priority, and I think we all agree that, that they should be. Absolutely. Then we dropped down to 1B, and uh, that was people who were over 70 years old, moderate risk healthcare workers, maybe you work, uh, you know, in a podiatry clinic or uh, an eye clinic or something like that. Uh, first responders, including uh, police, firefighters, corrections uh, personnel, and then uh, some teacher, teachers and then food and agricultural workers. And then uh, we dropped below that. Uh, and, and, the, and the goal was 1A and B be immunized uh, this winter. Uh, phase two would be the spring. That would be people ages 60 to 69 years old or 16 to 59 who are high risk with conditions like what you described. And then phase three in the summer, the general public. Uh, so that that was the, the, the idea. But each state has the ability to change those recommendations around a bit. Uh, in some states, uh, cops have not been as high a priority as in others. Now, here in Colorado, fortunately, we are. And, and you know, we're pretty much right behind those ER docs. Right. But I know in some states I've read about, uh, I think, in, in fact, in New York, uh, the uh, New York City, the, uh, the police benevolent union was saying, hey, where's our vaccine? Mm-hmm. So uh, we're pretty lucky here in Colorado, and we're pretty really lucky in Teller County. I, I think this is a real uh, golden opportunity if you are eligible uh, to take it. And uh, I, I really think it's going to uh, save lives. And, uh, you know, this isn't the average person off the street telling you this. You know, you've got decades of experience working in the medical community, both the military and the civilian side. Um, I, okay, I'll go do it. I, w- I would never put anything inside my body that would put me at risk. And, uh, and, I, and I would think that people would respect, you know, their, their primary care physician's knowledge, their training, that sort of thing. Just like I would respect if, you know, when I go out on, you know, on the range or without with, with an FTO here in Teller County, they say, this is how you do a traffic stop or this is how you clear a stoppage. I'm listening to their every word because they're the experts. They've done it for years. And, and what they're telling me could potentially save my life. And I think what I'm telling you, based on my years of experience, could potentially save yours. And my daughter, uh, two daughters, one is a physician in, in Minneapolis. She, she's taken it. She's going to get the second dose this week. I've got another daughter in Chicago, medical student. She got her first dose last week. I have a daughter-in-law who's, who's nine months pregnant. She's going to deliver on the 17th. <laughs> and she is getting her second dose this Saturday. Uh, and they've all done fine. They've all done well. And none of them would have put anything inside their bodies that they thought would have made them ill or caused a problem. So talk to your doctor, you know, talk to somebody who's got some knowledge in the public health realm and 
I, I think that's that's what you need to be believing instead of you know some of the stuff on YouTube. So I think I just want to let people know that if they have any questions, they just need to call public health because they're the ones who are going to yeah. say, yeah. you know, I mean, if it, if they have an illness, a, a prior illness or something, um, they could qualify to get it now. And and really, the state site has. Um, a lot of like, what are the side effects? What are the frequently asked questions? So I normally, if somebody asks me that, I just post it right so that they can see it. All right. So in addition to the COVID vaccine, there are other steps that can be taken. And we, we may be seeing lockdowns coming along with the new administration. I don't know. What do you, what's, what do you think about that, Doc? Well, um, you know, I think lockdowns are, are kind of a temporary fix. And, you know, if, if you look at the international news, uh, you know, we're seeing over in the UK, they're talking about some pretty stringent lockdowns, uh, also in other countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, here we are, it's almost a year since we've started dealing with this. And a, a lockdown is, is something that, that is just not sustainable. We, we have to be able to get out and live our lives. We got to be able to, you know, get our groceries. We, we got, we've got to have people to be able to do the things that keep us alive. You know, we got to have law enforcement out there. We got to have EMS out there. We got to have the people who, uh, you know, purify our water and, and handle those sorts of things. And so we've got to mitigate the risk. And we do that with social distancing and masks and now vaccines. But I, I think we're beyond lockdowns now. And I, and I personally don't believe that, I mean, it's probably easy for somebody who maybe works at home and can have their groceries delivered and, uh, you know, doesn't have to go out and, you know, work at Taco Bell or, or, or work at Walmart or that sort of thing. It's easy for them to say, oh, well, just lock yourself down. And then, hey, but but I can't lock down. I got to go work. I got to I got to I got to make money for my family. Uh, so I, I, I hope that we're not going to be dealing with something that austere now. I, I think we, we we need to get away from lockdowns and, and you know, keep the social distancing, keep the masks. But but let's uh, let's replace lockdowns with vaccine. Yeah, I would think that. Well, a couple things. One, there'd be a pretty big violation of our rights. And I think you get a lot of kickback from something like a lockdown. The second thing is that it it seems like a temporary solution at best. Everybody's locked down, but COVID's still there. Once you get back into society, exactly. you start spreading it again. Exactly. And I, and I think it's interesting if you look at the history of uh, pandemics, and I, I, you know, I've read a lot about the one in 1918. In fact, you know, years ago, in, well, in 2009, when we had, uh, we had uh, some, a bird flu potential pandemic, uh, they got very interested in the history of it. And in fact, uh, my uh, my grandmother uh, was a young girl when that came through. They her family lived in Nebraska, and everybody got it except her father, and he was taking care of five kids and his wife. Nobody died, fortunately. But with the uh, the flu, the Spanish flu pandemic in 1918, it did die off after a couple of waves. But this is this is not a flu. This is coronavirus, a different kind of virus, and it's not dying off. So what worked back in 1918 with you know some lockdowns, which they did have, uh, not working now uh, because of the character of the virus. So that's why the vaccine, in my mind, is is so important. We can't lock down our way out of this. 
Well, I really appreciate you coming out here because that's one of the things that the, um, just even with our deputies and officers, they just want to know, uh, they have questions. So I, I really appreciate you answering. Oh these. yeah. I'm glad to be able to do that. And, and, uh, as somebody who, you know, you, you study public health, you go to school, you get a degree and a lot of the stuff that you learned back then, you're like, man, I'd really like to use some of some of this someday. And this is an opportunity. So I think that's why, you know, your public health nurses, people in this field are, you know, trying to get the message out. And maybe, you know, we need we need more people like Tommy to help us do that. And and we don't. Uh, you know, we, we have the knowledge. We just don't have the uh, the way to broadcast it. So thank you for that. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to help, but it's, you know, that's nothing without the experts coming out and, and actually putting the information out there. So thank you for coming in, Doc. I, I, I appreciate it. I know we all really appreciate it. All right. Well, everybody, I uh, hope you enjoyed today's podcast and that it was very informative and that it made up your mind to go out and get yourself some of that vaccine action when you get the chance. Doc, thank you so much for coming up. And I'll, I'll go pleasure. from the Springs, uh, you know, endangering yourself crossing that Springs-Taylor County border there. <laughs> hey, the I know when, I, when I get to Cristola, I know I'm safe. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. That's why you come up here to get safe. He's one of us. Commander Sullivan, thank you for, for putting this together. Thank you for coming up here and giving us your time on this as well. And, of course, Renee. Thank you, as always. Thank you, Tommy. The hardest working person in, in uh, law business. <laughs> So this is Tommy, and I'm going to go ahead and sign this off, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you. This podcast was made possible by the Teller County Honorary Deputy Sheriff Association. The HDSA is a nonprofit organization dedicated to increasing public safety and awareness by providing safety and survivability equipment to deputies and posse members, administering public events like Shop with a Hero, and enabling information programs like this podcast. For more information, you can find the HDSA website at tellercountyhdsa.org.